the meme. Chase that dream, not the meme. Chase that dream, not the meme. Welcome to Dreams Not Memes Podcast. Hello everyone, it's another episode of Dreams Not Memes. Today I'm here with my friend Paula, who is currently in Switzerland. Paula is a Polish-Canadian professor for digital sociology at the University of St. Gallen in Switzerland, and is also a professional musician with a pop folk band, Paula and Carol from Warsaw, Poland. How's it going? Yeah, yeah, great. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me here. That's Anytime. wonderful. Anytime. So let's first talk about digital sociology. What is that? Yeah, 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 sure. Um, okay, so sociology, even sociology, what is that? I mean, that's like the study of how people interact in society and among groups. It's not psychology, right? So that's just the basics. It's um, And the studies can be different kinds of studies. Um, but uh, basically, digital sociology starts thinking through, hey, how did... Um, so digital sociology is um, just a study of how social life has changed because of digital media. So the fact that we're sitting here on Zoom and the fact that interaction is different, the fact that we are affected in a very different way, the fact that friendship has changed, intimacy has changed, all sorts of things have changed because of digital media, we study that. Yeah. So that's just like the simple answer to that, that we study groups of people and how they interact in public and private space, but also digital media has changed that. Yeah. Certainly, certainly. And, and I definitely recall like studying sociology in my grad and undergrad work in the past. Can I ask you, how did you get involved uh, in sociology as a study? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of by chance. I mean, I was... I was always really interested in journalism and I was always really interested in interviewing people. So I like your job, Brian. I feel very awkward sometimes on this end of the spectrum. And I, I like talking to people. I like talking about where they're from. I like talking about yeah, where, what, how they work, how people work and um, sort of what makes them special or feel special even. And um and yeah, and so I just, I always was really interested in that. And I was doing some journalism when I was a young kid, when I was like 16 and 17, I was writing for my local paper. I grew up in North Bay, Ontario. So like this Northern Ontario town with a, a really cool newspaper called the North Bay Nugget. Um, the Nugget is like the lamest <laughs> name I think for a newspaper ever, but um, let's not tell them that. And, uh, and yeah, I was like super into, into talking to people. And anyway, so I just started to think about like, what can I do? What kind of studies can I get into? And one thing led to another that I did my undergrad in Canada. And then I just did some research projects and I was like, oh, this is fun because this is also like interviewing people, but it doesn't have to be journalism. And then you start working a little bit more theoretically and start thinking a little bit deeper about what kind of interviews are you're doing and spending more time in different places. And right now I'm the type of sociologist does ethnography. So ethnography means that you are really close to anthropology, that you spend some time, a longer amount of time with um, a sort of tribe or a group of people. Um, and this could be for half a year, this could be for a year, and then you write about them. Yeah. So that's kind of my style of sociology that I'm really into. Um, and that's how it all began. That's really amazing. And I look forward to asking more about that like later in our uh, discussion. So let's talk about your pop folk band. What is pop folk for people that don't know what that is? 
Yeah, I think I mean, I think I am curious if people most people do know that it's like stuff that runs on the radio that's like poppy that has like simple songs that people could sing along with. I think there was like a total pop folk revival oh ten 10 years ago with bands like Mumford and Sons or the Lumineers or stuff like that that you know it plays on the radio it's fun to listen to you kind of remind yourself of hanging out at a festival um in the summer um it's quite like i guess white music in a lot of <laughs> respects uh derived a lot from like country as well i mean yeah for those of you who don't know that's that's kind of the genre and we also have been playing for a long time yeah this is also something I do very professionally and I take quite seriously so uh it's I do definitely have this like dual career yeah and how did Paula and Carol start yeah uh so back to me being my uh, sociology self I was um I did a PhD so I did my doctorate in the University of Lancaster in England and I just was at a house party. I remember I was quite drunk and like I was just uh, singing, like I started singing. And I, I didn't really sing so much. I, I grew up while writing for this uh, cheesy North Bay Nugget. I also was in the drama club and like different musicals. So I, that's where I sang. But then fast forward to 10 years later when I'm like around 27 and um, just like I thought, oh, wow, it's so fun to sing. So I'd love to be in a choir or something. And a few months later, I went back to Warsaw. I did a gig as a lecturer at a university there, still doing my PhD and hanging out in Warsaw because Warsaw was became my hometown for a while. I maybe should rewind and explain that I did my master's in sociology in Warsaw. My parents are both Polish. Um, Poland, I grew up partially in Poland as well. So I found always Warsaw was just quite a home for me. It was a, a place that I always felt very, very linked to. And so I... I did my master's there, then I did my PhD in England, and then I thought, okay, I'll come back to Warsaw. And I came back, always have, also having in this mind that, hey, I wanted to play in some sort of choir, band, something. I just wanted to do something like totally hobby. Like it was never supposed to be professional. And I really thought I was like the worst singer ever. And I just, uh, a friend of mine just said, hey, you know, I have a mutual friend, this other guy, his name's Cuddle. He's an, do you know him? And I kind of knew him because we sort of studied together. And he was looking for someone to sing like background vocals in his like solo project because he was in another Warsaw band. And I, yeah, I just dropped by to his house, I remember. And he, he was, it was so funny because he was like listening to all those things that were popular about 10 years ago, like the Mumford, Mumford and Sons, or I mean, he liked like folky stuff like Bob Dylan and um, yeah, CCR and all this kind of stuff that uh, you'd listen, your parents would listen to. And so he, he was really inspired about this. And there's always like a woman that does like this choir and plays the violin maybe in the background. And he kind of was looking for that, but it slowly weirdly evolved that he like found the musician in me and he really pushed me to, to make up music with him. It's, it's also hard to explain because it's really like, it came from nothing. Like I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's very bizarre. It's like I turned on a switch and it's suddenly I was a musician. It just, yeah. And it got very popular very quickly. We became in Poland at that time, we became sort of the poster children for like folky kind of pop music that wasn't being done at the time in Poland. Like that whole wave of the folky English American stuff that I just mentioned that became popular then that wasn't happening in Poland. And we kind of became the voices of that movement 
um, if you can call it a movement. And yeah, and then like we got sent around the world. We were started being very, very popular and we were, I guess, a bit less popular now, but we still have like a steady fan base. And we actually just came out with our um, first single to our newer album, which will come out in the spring, sort of early summer. And it's our fifth album. So yeah, we've, wow. we've been doing it for a while now. Wow. Yeah. I would definitely love to talk to you more about the intersection between your music and, you know, your work as a professor in the next half of our conversation. So let's take sure. a break. Quick message. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Dreams.Memes. Please make sure to follow Dreams.Memes Podcast on your preferred streaming channel or on Instagram at Dreams.Memes Podcast. To support Dreams.Memes Podcast, feel free to contact me at daywithoutlove at gmail.com for advertising or sponsorship opportunities. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, now we're back. So given that you mentioned that your band reached a lot of popularity and you're also a professor, how did you balance the two? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So I now this is worth noting, like I wasn't a professor at that time, right? So at the time where I, that was, this was 2009 already, 2010, 2011. Those were those like three years. And I think I started working... I got a postdoc, which is like a research position you get after you're finished your PhD. And I started that, I think in 2012. So if you can imagine, that's like quite a bit of time where I kind of made it a bit of a break. And that's where I devoted a lot of my time, all of my time to music. So that's one thing worth noting. Now, after I, we started touring a lot, we played a lot and I thought, hey, I did my PhD this is actually a tiring lifestyle. You know, you would really be touring. You would be, it's it's also indie touring. It's not like we're U2 or Coldplay or like Taylor Swift. We're like, you know, staying in people's houses, sleeping in hostels, um, hanging out until three in the morning in some grin, grungy backstage. Like that all sounds fun, but it gets really tiring after a while. And um and yeah, I got tired. Plus you're like, I was the only woman, I'm still the only woman in my band of like five other guys. And it's, it just gets, yeah, it just gets much. It gets much once you're starting doing your makeup, like in the backseat of some van while it's moving or like just some dirty, like, it's just dirty. It's like a dirty sport basically. And, um, and physical cause you're moving. Actually, a lot of people don't realize this. You're moving equipment every single day and yes like I'm not saying that just because I'm a woman I don't feel like moving this equipment that's totally not what I'm saying I'm saying anyone is tired like it's just a physically demanding thing and people think that oh you just have a folk band you just like have a little violin on stage that's no no way like you need to there's bass amps there's like cables there's other amps there's all your equipment all your like stands and stuff so this kind of stuff is tiring so after doing that for about a while two years I got a job offer in Hamburg Germany as this postdoc as to do a research position and and I took it and um and I never left really and and that research position was like a 15 percent contract that happens a lot in Europe that there's a lot of 
um, especially in research, but even in, in Switzerland, for example, where I'm now, a lot of people don't work full time. So they work like 50% or they work like 40% contracts or 75%. Like my contract now is a 75% contract, which means I have less teaching and I have less demands, which also means I have more time, like one day a week I spend on and off for the band, for example. So that's how I kind of I'm allowed to do that, which is really amazing. But that doesn't say that I haven't done that in the expense of our band. And I think that what fans we grew those 10 years ago, I don't think we've passed much of a threshold and we still have those fans or just the same amount. And it's not huge at the moment. Yeah, like I'd, we're, I mean, we're talking here like indie band in the sort of 10,000 mark and we don't cross that. I think if we look at all of you Spotify's and the YouTube playlist and stuff like that, it just gets to that level, which, yeah, for now is is really great. I just think that it's my career does come to ex an expense of um, the band itself. And that's just the reality, unfortunately, but also fortunately. Yeah, true, true. So first thing, you mentioned that people in Switzerland don't work full time. Is that out of work family conflict, work family balance? Like, like, like what, what is that? Mm, like, why, why does that, that actually, matter? yeah, yeah, sure. Why does it, um, yeah, I think the Swiss people know how to live. I mean, they're really rich country. You could actually live okay on a 50% contract. I mean, you you have to like, you're not super wealthy if you work on a 50% contract, but you could definitely like live. People want to spend more time like going for walks and just doing like hobbies, the people that I have met. But mind you, I started working here at this university last year in April. And that's when, of course, where COVID hit and stuff. So I've been doing a lot of stuff online. So I didn't really get to learn a lot about um, the Swiss culture. But from what I've understood and from some of the friends that I've met, they're just like chill. They just want to, oh, okay, now I'm taking care of my kids. I'm going to have a different contract or, oh, okay, now I want to open up a cafe and I just don't feel like working the grind. Um, so I'm going to, yeah, hang out and do a 50% contract as an engineer and 50% as a cafe owner. Like I have a friend here who just does that. So it's a very, it's quite relaxed. And I think that a lot of the time employers know that they're like, okay, this person's working 50%. We're not going to overdo this. We're going to give them a 50% amount of work. And then they'd go off and do whatever else th that is, which in other cases that wouldn't work in the U S I think, or in maybe in a Canadian setting and just be like, you have a 50% contract. You're going to work hundred percent anyways. Um, sometimes, you know, yes. so it's, I think it's, mm, yeah, it's a really lovely system. I think it's great. I think it's a system that makes a lot more sense. Like yeah. when I think about the US post office, a lot of times the post offices are set up with two people working about 10 to 12 hours, depending on you know the, the hours of the post office, but it's only those two people uh, that will work there throughout the entire day. And what I think is so yeah. unfair is like, these people are overworked, underpaid, and understaffed but if you did the 50 percent 75 percent work model you get more yeah. efficiency and you could create yeah. the pay and scale the pay so that people can live but for some reason yeah the stakeholders haven't thought about that and like i yeah. mean 
people aren't going to see this, but my eyes are literally glowing right now hearing what you just shared with me. Mm, yeah, don't get me started. I mean, it's also, I've also done research, back to my research, I've uh, my research has, for the last two years, has worked with a tech, like a global tech company in Berlin. And there's a lot of sort of comparison between how programmers who are very well paid and very privileged, of course, in a lot of respects um, in terms of being a worker, but there's a lot of guys and girls who work in Berlin who used to work in San Francisco and they really do feel the difference in terms of the German labor yeah, regulations, the German culture, labor culture. It's very, very different. And it's really about just doing, you don't have to be amazing. You don't have to be the best. You ha- you can you can just do your job and go home and hang out with your kids or your dog or whatever. And that's your life. You're not working to, you're not living to work, right? You're living to live. And then your work is also important, but it's not the main thing as well. And even, I just did some research recently, like even the German labor laws, even though maybe this is a boring topic, but even in the civil code in Germany, it's also, it's written in on the legal aspect that you can't force your worker to excel at their job. You as a worker are only expected to do the mediocre average. And that's an average on a quite a subjective level, but you don't have to be awesome. So no one can even fire you because you haven't met some huge, I don't know, metrics. No, you've done produced whatever you have to produce and that's it. And so that's, I find that very interesting because it really almost like chilling out is written into the like labor code of Germany. Um, And I I think that goes for a lot of countries in Europe that um, yeah, our life is worth also, it's about living and it's about enjoying and it's about, yeah, producing other stuff. I'm just appalled by what's happening in the U S and of course, the U.S. is there's a lot of problems in the world in terms of uh, labor regulation. That's it's not like it begins and ends in the U.S. But um, yeah, I do fear feel feel for you guys because it's very very difficult. You can imagine. Certainly, because like you know, when iPhones tell you your screen time, right? Mm. Sometimes you could correlate screen time to work time, especially if you use your phone for work. Yeah, and if your screen time exceeds six to eight hours you have to really ask yourself well how much of that time is work time especially if you work in anything involving digital strategy marketing strategy content strategy or basically Mm -hmm. anytime you're using a widget on your phone that involves work um i'm willing to bet i mean i don't have metrics on this right now as we're speaking that most people have screen time in America that exceeds the eight to nine hour period, mm. Mm. whether they realize it or not, because they, they're working outside of those work hours. Mm. They're, they're, they're constantly churning, they're constantly churning, they're constantly churning. And like, you know, as someone that has had a lot of careers, a lot of companies in America always say we're really lean, which really mm. communicates you're not Six Sigma, you want to pump as much work into a person as possible, as opposed to spread the work around. Mm. Um, you know, mm. another one is we're a contract basis, but you're going to work 300% of the time. And yeah. then we probably can't afford you, even though we can. Mm. Uh, and then they thought the contract model was like the way to stop the recession. So it's just like, there's mm. a lot of these new work norms that yeah. in my opinion are creating a, a bubble that eventually will break 
Yeah. And you're not even mentioning what's happening now in terms of home office stuff, which is a whole different topic in itself, which also means that people are bringing and never leaving their work, right? They're, they're just, their work is their home. And, and I know a lot of people who also at the moment, it's very difficult to turn off their computer and turn off their boss or turn off their colleagues because they're just always able to be there. And that was something great about the actual office that you delineated the space in which you're working in and you're saying, okay, yeah, I'm leaving the office. I'm turning my office phone off. I'm, I'm gone, right? I'm going to hang out with my kids, but here you're still available. Um, and that's very, very difficult, I think. Certainly, yeah. because because people, um, and I, I don't want to just tie it to just Americans, I forgot mm-hmm. about the meaning of boundaries. Because I definitely recall, you know, prior to COVID, having a manager who would literally see me leave the office, everything was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would eat dinner, go to the gym. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like 8.30 p.m., I left the office three and a half hours ago, maybe even longer. Uh, and I get a call from my manager wanting to talk to me for a half hour. And I said, well, I'm contracted right now. There's nowhere where it said that this is like billable hours. And like, I don't yeah. care. I, you have yeah. a phone. Yeah. So, so yeah. 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 yeah and, no, I'm, I get it too. <laughs> so let's talk about your band and, and something that you mentioned. You said that like, you know, you've reached that 10,000 mark of fans and things like that. Do mm. you think indie bands in general have tipping points? Like meaning there's, mm. there's a part where they can't really grow mm. or do you think it's a matter of just other metrics you can't control? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I had, a, I just got off the phone right now with um, somebody who's trying to help us more with our online and sort of digital marketing stuff. Cause that's, that's a huge thing these days. And if you don't have someone behind you, if you don't have the money behind you to compete with other people who are also knowing how to game the certain algorithms that um, judge, like exactly help you push your music to certain audiences, etc. I think that that is, it is quite difficult. Um, it is. It is because people have so much choice these days and it's so difficult to push yourself throughout this choice. And if, and these days there's also a lot of um, the audience has changed and the listenership has changed. I think through things like um, Spotify playlists or other streaming playlists, you're kind of expected to be fed a certain amount of music and for a certain amount of new music. And there's a lot, I, I feel somehow personally, unless you're very much into music, you're not as proactive about the bands that you like or not. So you're kind of, you're quite passive and you're quite, um, yeah, subservient to these uh, different platforms that tell you what you want to hear basically and saying, okay, this is what you want to hear. This is the new music Friday. This is what you should be listening to today. And, um, and I, I, yeah, I just feel that if you're not on those playlists and if you're not part of that group of people, you're not going to get the listens. Um, yeah, that's just as simple as that. And the way in which we also get followers is, of course, through playing concerts. Right now, we can't play concerts. We probably won't be able to play concerts until the fall, if not next spring or another fall 22. So this is quite drastic. So at the moment, we have to, even if we're uh, releasing a new album, a new single, the only way that we get listenership is really pushing money into more PR companies that push us through radio, that push us through television to traditional media or new media that um, also with some people who know how to game the system. And it takes money, right? It's, it's not for free. 
and you could kind of try to do it on your own. But this sort of DIY, get in the bus, play a lot of concerts across uh, whatever, Europe or America, and then grow your following, those times, at least for the next few years, I think are over or are they shifting and they have been shifting. And so, yeah, and there's a lot of more demands also for us to produce more content. We have to produce stupid content on TikTok or Instagram um, or Facebook. And we used to, we're kind of bad at that. We, when we're on tour, we have something to produce, right? We're like together as a band, we're like showing like that we're on, on the stage. We're like playing some like backstage little live sessions. That's all easy to do when you're on tour for two weeks or a month, but it's not easy to do when we're all in different countries, first of all, or even if we wouldn't be in different countries, it's just like, we're not these kinds of people who are like, we didn't grow up like that. You know, I'm in my late thirties, my whole band is in their late thirties and they're all, we didn't grow up like that. We didn't think that it's okay to like nonstop film yourself. But I think a lot of bands of course are expected to do that if they want to be relevant. Um, yeah, that's kind of, and so, so indie bands, I think it's a very different game for indie bands. Um, and it's, yeah, it's changing very, very rapidly, especially with COVID. I, I like that you said that. And like using the research hat, I've been begging to ask, what is the convergent and, and discriminant validity of social media and band success? Um, and, and what I mean by that is, how can we discriminate between you know, meme band, 4,000 4, views per TikTok. And how can we guarantee, well, actually I really, what I'm really talking about is predictability. How mm. can we predict that your social media content is going to guarantee you streams? And how do mm. we know that those streams and sales are gonna be enough? Mm. Because I think we're in this dividing line where people such as yourself, such as myself, who've done the work of playing these shows and mm. done the work of working with PR have created a brand for ourselves. Mm. And like, we might reach a certain point because like our, our fans and followers or friends are, are loyal to us. And like, mm. yeah, we could create that content, but will mm. it provide added value versus the person that's like, Hey, check out my band. I'm in a dolphin suit. And it's mm. like, because there's so much content, can we really predict that wearing that dolphin suit is going to get you the next place? No, we can't. And then it's just, mm. and then we don't even know how valid or how correlative mm. it, it is to getting you anywhere because people are just mm. going to swipe to the next thing. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. I, I'm not asking you to answer that question because that's like a thesis related question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, 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 sure. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm with you on that. I just I totally agree. And that's that's kind of the same thing that or even the other way around is that you can get a lot of clicks, but that doesn't mean that I think that's what also you're getting at. You you're getting a lot of clicks. We get a lot of views for let's say a post that we have boosted because of some sort of marketing strategy, but that doesn't mean necessarily that those people will go into your profile. Um, click like, you know, start browsing around Spotify and listening to your music. That's like maybe two of those 2000 people. The rest of them are just like swipe, swipe, swipe. Mm -hmm. um, so you're right. It's sometimes very empty. The feedback is very empty for the amount of effort you put in. I, ve I very much feel that. Yeah, yeah, True. definitely. Like, like recently, my shirt uh, was advertised 
well, not advertised, but it was used by a TikToker that I had on this podcast. And the TikTok got, well, last time I checked, 400,000 views, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to estimate I got about 17,000, I mean, 17 t-shirts. Not, seven, no, not even 700. Oh. I got 17 shirt sales. Mm-hmm. Out of 400,000 views, I mean, mm-hmm. some people would say that's amazing, but it, it speaks to the point we're talking about. You have yeah. to get 400,000 views for 17 sales. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like sure, that, sure. that, that, it almost makes you wonder, is it even worth it? Like, it, mm. it, I'm happy, I'm thankful, but it's just like, the mm. views are not necessarily worth the return. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Same, same thing with Spotify. Like you could get, a lot of plays on Spotify, but it won't guarantee someone's going to show up to your show, depending on yeah. the type of music you play. So it, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, as I digress, what are some of your goals in 2021 as a musician or a professor? <laughs> Whoa, that's a big question. So, hmm, grow my followers. I mean, that's in both my classes and my uh, no, my music. I mean, we. Hmm, that's a good question. So. I'm now trying to get a book deal uh, for uh, the work that I did in this Berlin tech company with these programmers. So I finished or I finished a proposal and I'm almost finished my book. Um, and I'm just going to pitch that on Monday to an editor in the U.S. for a U.S. publisher. And so hopefully the book won't be in my hands maybe because it takes ages. In But at least the publisher would be like, yes, we want to publish it. So that's my goal for sure. My number one goal. My other goal in terms of music is to, yeah, somehow figure out this online marketing space and grow some followers or at least have more people listen to this album because I, I really believe in this album and it's really wonderful. It's called Life Strange and it was written a little bit before the pandemic, but it was recorded like kind of during the pandemic and um, yeah, and we have uh, lovely songs on it and I think it's also a bit crazier weirder than our other albums and it has something to give something to offer and uh yeah it's a a lovely lovely bunch of music so yeah so that's one thing I would love to do and I don't know those are kind of big goals and the rest of that is just to chill enjoy enjoy life and try to forget that the pandemic is here I appreciate that and when is your record due to come out um, it's going to come out in June, in the middle of June, and we'll have a few singles that will come out before that. But um, yeah, our first single, Safe From Harm, is already out. Certainly. Definitely share that link so that you know, yeah. our listeners can, can listen as well. So like, I love that we talked about work-family balance. I love that we talked about you know, your, your research and things like that. What's the most fulfilling aspect of you know, your journey for you? Hmm. I think just to like experience all the spaces and places uh, and people that I have met and experienced. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is really the spaces and places that I have gotten to be in, to live in, to experience. I mean, I consider myself, yeah, I'm just so grateful. I'm so thankful all the time that I get to live in Warsaw, live in Hamburg, live in Switzerland. And I do this all somehow at the same time. And um, it's kind of unbelievable sometimes to me that, yeah, that, and, and I, that I get to also live this life of like two things, two careers, two, two worlds. Um, 
I I feel sometimes really greedy and kind of like, oh gosh, I'm I'm like doing too much. And I think this does on the expense of others, on the expense of my bandmates, on the expense of my husband, on the expense of people who sometimes have to pick up the pieces behind me. But I think throughout this, um, yeah, I have definitely no regrets. I mean, I just try to live life to the fullest in some ways. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And, and this has definitely been a good episode of Dreams Not Memes and a reminder to, to relax if you can. Um, and, and not just relax if you can, live, live life to your fullest. Exactly. And as you said, like dreams, like just don't be afraid to dream in some ways and like, yeah, ask people for help and to be bold. I think it's important to, I always tell my students that, that to reach out to people, to ask people to constantly, it's not really hustling. It's just like being curious and asking questions and writing to people that you sometimes think won't listen to you, but you end up listening to you. So I think it's important to kind of reach out and, and be curious. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Brian. Nice talking to you. Hi, this is Brian from A Day Without Love. Thank you for listening to Dreams Not Memes. I just want you to remember, your dreams matter. If you'd like to support this podcast, email at daywithoutlove at gmail.com for donation information, or follow me for weekly episodes. Thank you for listening and joining my journey. Have a good day.